David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.36 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 22nd of January 2020. This is episode 184 of Bitcoin, and we got Torchlight news. Yep, Torchlight. Um, <clears throat> this thing is moving so fast, it's hard to keep track of it, so I'm going to do my my very best. One thing that I did kind of uh, suss out today is that the first lightning torch did not go to every country in the world. This seems to be the impetus of the lightning torch Two, or I'm sorry, the <laughs> the LN Trust Chain Two. Uh, apparently, one of the missions or submissions of the second Lightning Torch is to hit every single country in the world. So uh, this one's going to be just a little bit different. Uh, <clears throat> a new uh, spreadsheet has been opened up by somebody who's tracking all the users that have held the torch and all the countries that it has been in right now the torch is being held at like at like I said as of this is 9:37 a.m. central standard at munitions mendel seems to be the last person who's holding the torch as uh, so far the trust chain has now this is not this isn't going to be representative of exactly where it is right now um, because munitions mendel is not on this list but so far, according to this Google Docs uh, spreadsheet, Jimmy Hama, Jimmy H-O-M-M-A, is the 94th carrier of the second LN Trust Chain, and we are at 40 countries. Uh, let's see. what who, uh, Countries in, in alphabetical order are Australia, Austria, Belgium, Bermuda, Brazil, Bulgaria, Canada, Chile, China, Colombia, Croatia, Ethiopia, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, India, Iran, Israel. Oh, I love it. Iran. <laughs> uh, Iran and Israel. I wonder if Iraq's... No, Iraq is not in here. Uh, Italy, Jamaica, Laos, Malaysia, Mexico, Moldova, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Romania, Slovenia, South Africa, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, United Kingdom, United States... Venezuela, Vietnam, and Japan. So that is where we're at right now. Munitions Mendel at Munitions Mendel is holding the torch as of at least two hours ago. I have not seen any updates, and I am tracking the hashtag LN Trust Chain 2. So as far as I know, munition, Munitions Mendel is the last person holding the torch. That's going to do it for Torchlight. If 
vital statistics. Uh, we'll start out here at bitinfocharts.com. Bitcoin at a price of 8660 We got a high over at BitAsset at 8724 Looks like our low is going to be chilling out over at GDAX at 8639 320,000 transactions in the last 24 hours Give, gives us 13,300 transactions on average per hour. 868,000 BTC being sent in that 24-hour period with 36,168 BTC being sent on average per hour. The average transaction value is, to, it looks like $2, uh, $2 good God, 2.7 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.029 BTC or about 250 bucks. Block time's pegged right at 10 minutes and zero seconds. 0.16 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 23.5 BTC have been taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. We've had a 9% drop in hash rate. We are sitting at 107,000, or sorry, 1,000, 107 exahashes per second. Last commit to the GitHub repository for Bitcoin was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 167, Bcash is at 343, BSV is at 308, Litecoin is at 58, Ethereum Classic is at $9.15, Dogecoin took another hit, dude, 0.0023, and yet with 31,000 transactions, it's walking all up and down Litecoin with its 21,824 transactions over the last 24 hours. My node is telling me that... The hash rate is 110 exahashes. Uh, we have, it looks like we've got one and a half megabytes chilling out in the mempool with 1,300 transactions being unconfirmed. Blocks look like they're coming in at a pretty regular pace as uh, as opposed to yesterday. It looks like, eh, yeah, about every 10 minutes. There's a couple of times I got a couple of blocks here that are coming in within seconds of each other. That seems to have happened twice but for the most part, we're, we're looking at 10-minute blocks again. Uh, and everything except one that I can see for the last, what, I'm looking at the last 10 blocks. Everything is over a megabyte in size. I've got one that is 1.3 megabytes uh, that indicate, my, my note is indicating that that is 99.8% of capacity. Uh, let's get into the Lightning Network. 11,128 nodes are online. Wow, we've had a 3% increase in the network capacity. We're at 882 BTC. That is $7.6 million of liquidity chilling out in the network. We have two new nodes that came online in the last day. That's a 40% drop in a day-over-day period. And we have another 40% drop in new channels coming online. We only have 136 new channels that just got diapered. That's going to do it for Vitals. Starting off the morning roundup is Square Crypto is creating a lightning development kit for Bitcoin wallets. This was written yesterday by, who wrote it, Nicholas Day for Coindesk.com. 
Square Crypto, the payment company's Bitcoin-focused wing, is launching a Lightning development kit for wallet and app developers to more easily build on the Layer 2 solution. Announced Tuesday, the new kit includes an API, language tools, demo apps, and other features to help developers integrate support for Lightning payments into their own wallets. Existing Bitcoin wallets will also be able to support Lightning through the new kit rather than requiring companies to build a separate wallet. The tools will help developers create better user experiences, a Medium post explained. Quote, for Bitcoin to become a widely used global currency, one that can't be stopped, tampered with, or rigged in anyone's favor, improvements to Bitcoin's UX security, privacy, and scaling are required, in quote, the group said. The post indicated the kit is still being built out and did not provide a timeline for release, but said, quote, today's lightning infrastructure is incomplete without features like these. End quote. A little hyperbole, but what the hell do you expect from Jack? I mean, come on. He's just going to do shit like that. Uh, another blow for Libra. Vodafone is the latest big company to quit Facebook-founded Libra Association, also by Nicholas Day, also written yesterday, and also for Coindesk. British telecom conglomerate Vodafone has become the eighth company to pull out of the Libra Association. The governing council for the Facebook-created global digital currency initiative Coindesk has learned. Vodafone and Libra both confirmed Tuesday the company is no longer part of the consortium. Vodafone will dedicate resources previously intended for Libra to its well-established and successful digital payment service, M-Pesa, which the company plans to expand beyond the six African nations currently served. The parting appears to be amicable, with Vodafone leaving specifically to focus on its own related service and not due to the regulatory concerns that apparently spooked other former members. Vodafone joins PayPal. MasterCard, Visa, Mercado Pago, eBay, Stripe, and Booking Holdings in withdrawing from the controversial stablecoin project, and it is the first company to exit after the association was formally organized in October of 2019. The payment company likely left due to concerns about increased regulatory scrutiny, which several U.S. senators threatened. At least one, Visa, specifically mentioned regulatory expectations as a reason, reason for not joining. In a statement, a Vodafone spokesperson said that the company believes it can most effectively bring affordable financial services to the world's poor by focusing on M-Pesa for the moment. Quote, we have said from the outset that Vodafone's desire is to make a genuine contribution to extending financial inclusion. The spokesperson said, we remain fully committed to that goal. Dante Desparte, head of policy and communication with the Libra Association, addressed Vodafone's decision in a statement, quote, Although the makeup of the association members may change over time, the design of Libra's governance and technology ensures the Libra payment system will remain resilient, Desparte said. Libra intends to admit new members into the association in 2020, a person familiar with the situation said. The wait list is currently north of 1,500 companies. A roughly two-thirds majority of existing members must agree to add any new participant. God, that just sounds fraught with difficulty. Two-thirds majority of existing members must agree to add any new participant. And there's like a couple of handfuls of them now. And the wait list is 1,500 companies. So the question on this one, guys, becomes as new companies are admitted, do they immediately get voting rights? And if you're last on the list, does that make that would seem to make you less likely to get in? On the flip side, what happens, you know, what uh, the only other thing that I can think of is that 
everybody on the wait list gets voted on by this handful of companies all together. I don't know, man. Seems pretty damn sketchy to me, but whatever. It is Libra. Facebook unveiled Libra in June 2019 after months of speculation around the project. While the social media giant remains a member of its governing council through its blockchain and wallet subsidiary, Colibra, on paper, Libra is an independent entity. The Libra stablecoin is intended to serve as a global means of payment and would be backed by a basket of sovereign currencies, including the U.S. dollar, euro, and British pound, sterling, and others. Libra's goal is to build a finance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just the same marketing crap that we've already heard about. But Vodafone bails. I this <laughs> don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. You got everybody, not everybody, but a whole bunch of the largest people of the first round of companies to join this thing has already bailed out. And then Vodafone being as massive as they are has bailed out after being the first company after they put it all together in October of 2019 and ratified shit and did their suit wearing stuff and glad handing and yeehaws and all that crap. Right after that, what happens? Vodafone bails. This doesn't look good for them, but nothing ever does. SEC charges $600,000 ICO project Aporti for fraudulent security offering. Andrei Shevchenko is writing for Cointelegraph this morning. The Securities and Exchange Commission has charged Sergei Gribinak. Gribniak? Gribniak. Gonna go with Gribniak. Sergi Gribniak, the founder of the initial coin offering project Aporti. Now, I'm gonna pause right there. Aporti. A-P-P-O-R-T-Y. You, dudes, you spelt opportunity wrong, as in opportunity to fleece bag holders, but whatever. Despite raising approximately $600,000, the commission targeted Gribnia Bank for falsely declaring the project as 100% SEC compliant. <laughs> remember, remember we read, like I read you guys another story it was either, I think it was at the end of last week, I was talking, we were talking about this, that these guys are just so blazing in their, in their BS and their, their need and absolute Oh God, I'm, I don't know how else to better to put it. Their need to fleece you of your money. They don't need uh, opporty. Opporty. It's an opporty to fleece you of your, whatever. I'm sorry, guys. Opporty launched its ICO between September and October of 2018. The project purported to provide a blockchain-based ecosystem for small businesses and their customers primarily in the United States. Oh God, that's just, <laughs> fraught with difficulty. The platform was meant to be a place where small businesses could list their services and enter into agreement via smart contracts. <laughs> the ICO for the OPP token raised 600 grand from approximately 200 investors, some of whom were located in the United States. Ah. Oh. While the SEC's primary charge is for conducting an unregistered sale for securities, it also claims the project made many misleading and false claims to encourage investment. 
Among them, Aporti claimed to have onboarded thousands of verified providers to do business on the platform, the majority of which had expressed no such willingness. The SEC complaint reads, <laughs> a claim of having more than 17 million businesses in its database was revealed to be a simple purchase of a third-party catalog. Finally, the SEC alleges that the product project lied about a partnership with a major software company. The accused founder is a resident of Brooklyn, against whom the SEC seeks injunctions against future digital offerings, the return of all ICO money and civil penalties. You are never seeing a dime of it. Sorry, you got you got robbed. The case against Operti is an outlier given the caliber of projects previously targeted by the SEC. Notable cases include the litigation for Telegram, Kicks offering, Boaz Menors, blah, blah, blah. By contrast, other projects receive far more lenient treatment. The SEC settled with EOS parent company Block One for $24 million out of the $4 billion ICO. Debates around XRP's security status did not yet result in the investigation in an investigation by the regulator. Other projects, such as Turnkey Jet, received no action letters by the SEC. While the SEC pledged to offer more lenient and flexible treatment to crypto projects in 2020, it appears that some projects will remain under scrutiny. One possible distinction for Operti is that in addition to offering unregistered securities, the project allegedly lied about its achievements. In addition, unlike many similar ICOs, the offering did not explicitly exclude U.S. investors from participating, and that's where you got freaking hosed. You cannot allow people from the United States to do anything because terrorism and money laundering and whatever – But again, the brazen bullshit of saying that you are SEC compliant and that you're working with them and you're not, and you live in the United States and you sold your shit coin to United States citizens. It's, I'm wondering if this gentleman is just stupid or somehow or another Good sense got clouded by the need to steal your money. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't really matter because Hyperledger overtakes R3's Corda in developer activity. This was written by Liam Frost for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. Hyperledger Fabric has seen a sharp jump in developer activity since moving to file hosting platform GitHub. Hyperledger Fabric, a decentralized network supported by the Linux Foundation and IBM, has recently overtook R3 Corda in terms of developer activity. It now has the most developers out of the main private blockchains, according to a report by uh, a report managed by blockchain services providers Chainstack. The sudden uptick in developer activity came after Fabric changed its co-collaboration tool, moving from Garrett to GitHub. In November of 2019, unlike public decentralized network where activity is constantly covered by numerous reports on a daily basis, less attention is given to private permission blockchains developed primarily for enterprises. To shed some light on this topic, Chainstack conducted its research on the general developer activity of the six biggest enterprise-grade blockchains, Besu, Corda, Fabric, Multichain, Quorum, and Sawtooth. Per the report, R3 Corda, Hyperledger Fabric, and Quorum accounted for 86% of the total number of unique developers that pushed code out of the six and are the most consistently active over time. The report noted that the networks are backed by larger companies. Corda is run by R3 and Hyperledger Fabric by IBM. 
providing greater resources to hire full-time developers. So it is un- it is unsurprising that they have more consistent and engaged contributors. This trend is even clearer if we look at the total number of developers involved in any capacity. Hyperledger Fabric is leading with over 17,500 developers. Quorum takes second with 5,600. And Corda following closely at around 5,000 developers. Quorum development was mostly stagnant before 2018. However, from mid-2018 through 2019, the protocol has steadily increased two times in the average number of contributors. At the same time, both Multichain and Hyperledger Sawtooth haven't seen much growth over those years, with Sawtooth activity declining 83% in 2019. Yet, while Hyperledger is leading in terms of total unique developers, whether they just interacted with this GitHub repository or actually pushed new code, the research paper notes that most of them are casual contributors, much more so than for any other blockchain on the list. For example, Corda developers have made twice as many code contributions during the same time. As the graph shows, and they're showing a graph here, but I'm not going to describe it. You don't need to know. It's, it's, it's just a bar graph. Come on. You figure it out. As the graph shows, Hyperledger actually has the lowest number of, quote, power developers. With multi-chain leading in this regard, Corda and Quorum are next on the list, with developers that are consistently active on average, having the highest average number of pushes per developer per month of all protocols analyzed. The report also notes that enterprise blockchain development is still nascent and evolving industry, but that it started to show signs of stability lately. At the same time, the terms or teams that are backed by bigger companies show the most consistency. Gee, I wonder why. Quote, based on the six protocols analyzed for this report, we can see that the number of developers contributing to the largest portion of the enterprise blockchain market has multiplied by 12 in the past three years, demonstrating a strong commercial interest. It is also clear to see that activity has reached a degree of stability, pointing to a departure from the early formative years prior to 2018, the report stated. As Decrypt previously reported, major companies around the world are showing commercial interest in enterprise blockchains. For example, major credit card company Visa partnered with IBM last summer to launch its blockchain payment platform B2B Connect based on Hyperledger Fabric. While they are struggling to gain traction in the crypto community that sees them as nothing more than cryptography-baked databases, there's clearly more at hand. Probably not more at hand because this is just right now, even in like internal to companies, you have to, especially tech companies, you have to fund your departments. And if you're the head of that department, it is up to you to go shill your shit to the your bosses, right? So with blockchain as a catchphrase, it's much, much easier right now for internal departments to get funding by working on blockchain products because they know that their bosses probably don't know what the hell this stuff is, but have heard it at places like Davos, which is going on right now. And I don't know other economic forums and blockchain this and blockchain that. So in reality is it's my opinion, but my opinion is, is that the reality is that all this is crap and it's not going to lead to anything. And the bosses that have been shilling their blockchain projects to fund their departments may very well find themselves with a pink slip one of these days in their mailboxes. 
Venezuelan team working on a Bitcoin mesh network based on offline radios. I'm really excited about this. Andrei Shevchenko is writing sometime yesterday for Cointelegraph. A Venezuelan team is developing Locha, a decentralized mesh network that doesn't rely on the internet to transact with Bitcoin, BTC. The system, based on radio waves, was born in response to frequent electricity and internet outages in Venezuela. Locha Mesh is an open-source project led by Randy Brito, a member of the Bitcoin Venezuela organization. It is developing two devices, named Terpial and Harpia, that would allow anyone to connect to the Bitcoin blockchain using long-range radio waves. Terpial is a similar version of the radio transmitter reported to work over distances of one to two kilometers in urban areas. Harpia is a more limited radio module to use with small computers such as the Raspberry Pi. Both devices are developed to be portable and operate on battery power. Their application is not limited to BTC. Any other blockchain like Monero could be integrated or even messaging the file transfer system like IPFS. I'm sorry, messaging and file transfer system like IPFS. Lochamesh devices work by providing an alternate data transfer method to the internet. The primary use case is for critical situations such as in Venezuela and Iran where infrastructure issues or government restrictions often lead to protracted shutdowns of the internet. But while physical inability to transact is one aspect, censorship resistance is another. Brito elaborated in a discussion with Monero community members, quote, we are making something for the situations where you don't have internet at all, either due to lack of infrastructure, targeted censorship, or in case you want to be completely anonymous, so you don't want to expose your home phone, IP address, things like that, that are linked to your identity, In quote. Though it will sell some devices, Locha aims to make it possible for tech-savvy enthusiasts to recreate a mesh-compatible transmitter. The software is open source and accessible to all. One existing weakness to the Locha mesh proposal is that it still requires internet access at some point in the network to connect to the worldwide cryptocurrency nodes. Though even during the internet shutdown in Iran, some remain connected to the World Wide Web, it is unclear whether a full Locha network would remain functional. Speaking with Cointelegraph, Brito explained that the network wouldn't necessarily rely on nodes connected to the internet via landline. Users with satellite dishes would also be able to act as gateways and retransmit the data within the Locha mesh. When asked whether users in a crisis in crisis-stricken countries like Venezuela would be able to afford the access. Uh, to the device, Brito replied, quote, we don't expect it to be that high on price. Our aim is to make the Terpial device as portable and affordable as possible. It will be possible to buy them from any country in places where it cannot be shipped to, or in places where it cannot be shipped to, we'll have plenty of documentation so people can build their own. And maybe some individuals would like to get some of our Terpial devices into those places we may not be able to reach ourselves. I don't know, man, that sounds like smuggling. <laughs> However, the team's progress is still slow. A production-ready device is expected to be completed by Q2 of this year, after which a further delay is expected for setting up manufacturing. The team is currently seeking funding with Brito noting that additional resources would speed up development. Quote, we think so. With more funding, we'd be able to get a non a, a production-ready hardware and software sooner, just as we've been able to get to our own hardware revisions and the needed software firmwares with the investments and donations we've received throughout 2019. 
So yes, I wholeheartedly love these these types of stories that talk about the use of older tech to bolster the infrastructure of the newer tech. You need we're we're gonna need both. We just are. And you may laugh your ass off that we're talking about sending transmissions via radio on like some old ham radio or a shortwave radio or something like that. But if I were you, I wouldn't be laughing. I think that this this is it first of all, it's inevitable. But second of all, shit hit hits the fan situations like I don't know. It's probably I, I doubt I'll ever see an electromagnetic pulse in my lifetime that actually does something more than sneeze. But I'm open to the possibility that it could happen. Or, um, I don't know, a comet strike. I'm so, I mean, and if it's like a bad one, then we've got other problems to worry about. I'm just saying, something that jacks up your ability to hit the internet, um, being able to bypass the internet lines to finally get somewhere that does have internet access and being able to use radio for that, that is awesome. That's really powerful because I can deploy a full radio station out in some field of BFE within 15 minutes if I was properly trained to do it. I am not, but I'll bet you Rodolfo Novak can. And anybody that's ever been trained as a, as a signal corpsman for the Army or the Marine Corps or Navy or some shit like that, I guarantee you they will give you a list of everything they need that weighs a certain amount of weight that they can put on it in a backpack, head out, and with a battery or possibly a fucking solar panel, be able to relay partially signed Bitcoin transactions as far away as they possibly can. I mean, military signal corpsmen, they know what they're doing. And it's not just plugging things in. It's how to manipulate the weather and the density of the air and the temperature and all that to be able to get a signal as far away from the transmitter as humanly possible. You got those kind of guys being able to deploy out in the field in case of shit hits the fan situations. You got, you got something. Locha network and MeshNet and uh, the Gotenna uh, network, all of that stuff we need to continue watching because it's going to be important. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. Australia Central Bank says nah, mate, to Facebook's Libra. So again, here, here we go. The Reserve Bank of Australia says the digital currency Libra should not be allowed to launch in Australia without being heavily regulated. In a submission to the Senate Select Committee on Financial Technology and Regulatory Technology, the Australian Central Bank outlined why it does not believe that Australia should allow Libra to launch within its borders. Uh, before I get any farther, this is Alex Lelacher writing for Brave New Coin sometime yesterday. The G7 noted that such proposals raise significant legal and regulatory risks, including consumer investor protection, data privacy, monetary policy, and financial stability. Accordingly, it cautioned that private sector global stablecoin initiatives should not be permitted to launch until all risks and regulatory requirements have been addressed. The bank is supportive of this view, the central bank stated in its submission. In other words, the central bank does not believe Libra should be allowed to launch locally unless the potential risks of a corporate-issued global digital currency have been fully analyzed and, are strict and there are strict regulations in place to govern such a payment system. 
In addition to suggesting a firm regulatory framework under which Libra and similar corporate-issued stablecoins should operate under, the RBA stated that it does not believe there would be enough demand for the currency in Australia. Quote, in Australia, it is unclear that there will be a strong demand for global stablecoins, even if they do meet all regulatory requirements, particularly for domestic payments, the RBA wrote. The central bank believes that Australians are already well served by existing regulated payment systems that offer efficient, low-cost payments to the consumer. The RBA recognizes that there is room for improvement in the cross-border payment market. However, the central bank believes that a number of recent digital non-bank entrants enables Australians to make cheaper and faster international money transfers. Finally, the RBA also stated that it does not believe that the introduction of a stable or sorry, a central bank digital currency makes sense for Australian consumers at this point in time. It does, however, consider it a possibility for the wholesale market. Quote, the bank is not currently considering a CBDC for retail use. There would be little demand by households for such an asset, given that they already have good access to digital money in the form of commercial bank deposits, the central bank stated. However, the RBA notes the availability of a wholesale settlement token based on distributed ledger technology could allow payment and settlement processes to become more integrated with other business processes, the bank concluded. What does this mean? This means that they are they are walling their garden. And I would expect at from, from this moment on, and it's been going on for a while, but I mean, really... <clears throat> this is sort of it's sort of starting to solidify that as we move forward in the future from this point these stable coins and new ICOs and altcoins they're going to be less and less likely to come up because now that the now that the bad people's immune system has been activated remember bitcoin is not the only thing that carries a strong immune system the world's legacy financial system has a pretty big fucking <laughs> immune system all by itself, and it's very dangerous. And this, these are the walls that are being put in place. So the good part about this is that we will less, we will have less and less and less of BS to deal with, as these guys, the bad people. The, the the legacy central banking system, as they move further back in our past, it's going to be harder and harder for their immune system to be able to function. But right now, their immune system is going to be able to chew up shit like Libra. And the only way you're going to circumvent that is... Mark Zuckerberg carrying massive plane loads of cash to bribe these people. That'll do it. I mean, everybody's got their price, I guess. I was about to say somebody's name in association with a former Bitcoin company that got into trouble yesterday, but I'm going to save that for the daily train wreck. I, in either event, expect more of this and expect more and more companies like Facebook and whatnot to have, they they came late enough that they have maybe a 50-50 chance of survival because of this shit. The, re, the, the, the legacy financial system's immune system is able to chew up that kind of stuff. But as they move back further in time, 
from the ep- from the epicenter of the explosion that was Bitcoin, the further back they go in time, the less and less their immune system is going to be functional. That's something to keep in mind. How can we continue to leverage that, that their immune system isn't as strong going back in our past as our immune system gets stronger going into the future? Just keep that in mind and think about how to leverage that shit because it's going to be important. Again, radio waves, being able to send transactions via radio waves. Keep that in mind. Hacker Noon is storing content on a blockchain after ditching Medium. Apparently, this shit dropped today. Now, Hacker Noon, um, pretty big publication thing. Uh, it's definitely nothing to be you know sneezing at. Um, William Foxley is writing this for CoinDesk this morning. Hacker Noon is putting its money where its pen is, embedding blockchain features into its new publishing platform. Annotations on Hacker Noon's blog-style content with some 4 million monthly readers will now be locally hosted on users' spare storage space at Hacker Noon CEO David Smook in a press release. These annotations and inline comments will be powered by ERA Incorporated's GUN, a decentralized peer-to-peer database system. Thank you. God... Thank you for not actually using the word blockchain or distributed ledger. A decentralized peer-to-peer database, yes. That's at least admitting, A, what it is, and B, not using fanboy terminology to be all bright and shiny. But I expect nothing less from Hacker Noon. Love those guys. By utilizing local storage on Hacker Noon Reader's free CPU space, a CPU space? I don't know, William. I think you mean like hard drive or RAM or something more to do with memory than CPU. Anyway, the cost of maintaining the domain drops on gun specifically. ERA CEO Mark Nadal said in a phone interview, both firms are working toward further blockchain features, integrations in the near future as well, but declined to comment on what this included. Nadal said that the annotations and inline comments themselves will be hosted on readers' devices using GUN. Annotations will only appear if approved by the contributing author. Quote, blockchain technology can distribute the hosting cost of running a site like ours, where people spend over 25 million minutes reading each month, Smook said. Smook, dude, don't use blockchain. Don't use the word. Just go with distributed ledger or like what you said up there, peer-to-peer distributed database. That's fine. Stop using blockchain. Because if there's no token of value being created by the blockchain, it's not a blockchain. Sorry, I'm my blood pressure. The system was first tested in July 2019. Improved blockchain systems uh, can be used both quickly and at scale as the system serviced readers successfully for 48 hours, Nadal said. Launched in 2016 by Smook and wife, Lynn Dow Smook, Hacker Noon announced its intentions to leave Medium last spring, citing general sentiment around publishers getting burned by the platform and saying they lack general control over content such as headlines, advertisements, and URL reroutes. In a March 2019 podcast, Smook said Medium offered to buy out Hacker Noon for a low sum, less than a Medium marketing professional makes in a year. Wow. 
Hacker Hacker Noon chose to run a crowdfunding campaign instead, ultimately raising $1.07 million from 1,200 people. That dude, congrats, bro. Nadal participated in the funding campaign. Quote, less dependency on central entities is essential for the internet to mature into a technology that works for the people using it, Smook said. So, Hacker Noon getting in on it. I really wish that they'd stop using the term blockchain for this because it doesn't make any sense without a token of value. I'm not going to mine their blockchain. And by mining their blockchain, that's how I keep their blockchain decentralized and thus available. Okay? But if... There's no reason for me to do that. I'm, I'm not going to set up a miner to mine their freaking blockchain unless there's a token of value. And even then, it's a shitcoin. Because if it's not Bitcoin, it's a shitcoin. But you don't need a blockchain to do shit like this. Really, guys, you don't. Just run a distributed ledger. A few people is fine. Except that that would give them, you know, a lot of power over what authors can, you know, actually say if they want to get submitted to Hacker Noon. But that's the way it is right now anyway. It's not like anything would actually change. These guys get to say what they publish. It's their gig. You don't need a blockchain if you have your own private gig. Whatever. Bitcoin Taproot Privacy Update on track for 2020. This is Brave New Coins, Kieran Smith. Taproot is designed to increase Bitcoin's fungibility, improve the functionality of smart contracts, and improve privacy by making all transactions appear the same to external blockchain observers. More than two years after SegWit was activated in 2017, Bitcoin is preparing for the next big update, Taproot which was first proposed in 2018 by Greg Maxwell, is being reviewed by developers and could soon be rolled out on the network. This was announced in a presentation by Peter Woola on December the 17th. Woola said that developers had almost finished responding to feedback and the proposal was, quote, nearly ready. Once implemented, the upgrade promises to increase Bitcoin's fungibility, improve the functionality of smart contracts, and increase privacy by making all transactions appear the same. To, again, external blockchain observers, Schnorr Signatures, the main thrust of the upgrade is the implementation of a new style of cryptographic signature. These are expected, Schnorr Signatures are expected, to bring several benefits to the network, particularly for those using complex smart contract transactions. Currently, Elliptic Curve Digital Signature Algorithm, or the ECDSA signatures, are used to sign transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain. These are typically around 72 bytes. Whereas Snore signatures are no more than 64 bytes, which is a 12% reduction in size. At the time of Bitcoin's inceptions, Snore signatures were not available in common crypto libraries and remain protected by a U.S. patent until shortly before the, the Bitcoin white paper was released. Had they been available, some say Satoshi would have opted for Schnorr signatures and not just because of their smaller size. Schnorr signatures enable signature aggregation through Taproot which combines multiple private keys into a single master private key that can sign transactions. As Steve Lee from Bitcoin Optech explained in a presentation in June last year, the aggregation creates reduced transaction fees, lowering node operating costs, and creating greater scalability. This makes Taproot especially useful for platforms using sophisticated smart contracts such as exchanges that rely on multi-sig wallets. 
Instead of using a typical two of three multi-sig wallet design featuring a hotkey, a trusted third-party key, and a cold wallet emergency backup key where participants would need to broadcast all three keys to spend the coins, Taproot aggregates these keys into a single Schnorr signature, potentially reducing network fees for exchanges by up to 30%, according to Lee. As Bitcoin educator Jimmy Song told The Block, this would be a net benefit for security. Quote, there will be no, oh, sorry, there will no longer be any penalties in terms of fees for a multi-sig, and that should lead the industry toward using best practices, end quote. With a reduced burden on the network, multi-sig smart contract wallets would be cheaper to operate and more sophisticated smart contract scripts will be made possible. For everyday Bitcoin users concerned about censorship resistance, Taproot represents an important incremental step towards privacy. Though the upgrade is not privacy-specific, it will improve Bitcoin's fungibility, the essential property of money whereby each individual unit is indistinguishable from any other unit. With Taproot, all payments look the same, and no distinction can be made from a payment sent to a public address or to a smart contract address like a channel on the Lightning Network. This minimizes the digital fingerprints that are left on any single transaction and makes the payment network more opaque and less vulnerable to censorship. All outputs for spending look identical, and most spins are indistinguishable, so this is a big improvement for fungibility, said Lee in the presentation. Smart contract payments, lightning payments, and sophisticated multi-signature smart contract payments all look the same. Blockchain forensic firms will thus be unable to see how many parties were involved in each transaction or detect if it was just a simple payment or a complex smart contract operation. Thank God, I can't wait. This could provide greater cover for those using mixing services like CoinJoin and make it more difficult for blockchain detectives to make accurate guesses at the rationale behind each transactions <clears throat> or each transaction. When Taproot does eventually roll out, it is likely to be followed by more incremental protocol upgrades, Graftroot, which delegates signatures to allow for additional multi-sig functionality, is also on the developmental horizon, along with the, quote, great consensus cleanup, end quote, which promises to fix network vulnerabilities. Great consensus cleanup. Honestly, that kind of scares the piss out of me because I don't exactly know what they mean. And if I'm going on just this word, yeah, it kind of scares the piss out of me. Now, is this... So we're all happy about Taproot. Yay, Taproot. Remember when we were... Yay, Segwit? Yeah. I'm just saying, guys, there's a lot of people that are saying that this is going to be easy. I am not one of those people. I do not think this is going to be easy. I think it's going to be yet another bone that we throw to the freaking altcoin dogs that they can fight over while we sit back and watch. And then we finally set all of our flags on all of our nodes to give them all the finger like we did in Segwit2x. Now, I can't say we on that one because I did not have a functional node at that time. But I was there in spirit. I really was. I, I was. In first pure crypto hire, Silvergate Bank recruits Blockstream Liquid Network Executive. This was written yesterday for Coindesk by Nathan D. Camillo. Or is it Camillo? It's two L's. I'm always tripping up because in two L's in Spanish is an L-Y-E, and it's always pronounced Y-A. 
Anyway, whatever. Crypto-friendly Silvergate Bank has made its first hire from the hardcore Bitcoin community to support an ambitious roadmap for its business serving digital currency clients. I wish you guys would stop referring to Blockstream like it's some kind of machine that has big spikes and shit coming out of it and massive 50 caliber guns. They hardly have any of the developers left that they had when everybody was calling them Borgstream and accusing them of being bought off by ING or whatever insurance company that had an investment in them. Stop it. Blockstream is not that important anymore. They're still important because they're a Bitcoin company. Bitcoin companies are important. They're not the most important one. They never have been. Stop doing that. They're not hardcore. Quote, we've hired other folks that are from tech companies that were providing services to some crypto companies, and we've hired former law enforcement to help us with AML, KYC, BSA. But in the pure crypto space, Benjamin might be the first, Silvergate Chief Executive Alan Lane told Coindesk. The hire shows Silvergate's deepening commitment to serving a niche where most banks fear to tread, owing in part to the high cost of AI money laundering, know your customer, and Bank Secrecy Act compliance Lane mentioned at Blockstream, an outfit pursuing bleeding edge tech improvements for Bitcoin, Richmond was responsible for the growth of Liquid, a sidechain or parallel network sometimes used to move money between exchanges. In his new job, <clears throat> Richmond will be in charge of crypto customer growth for Silvergate. He is taking over the duty from the executive vice president of corporate development, Ben Reynolds, who will focus on the bank's newer initiatives, such as crypto collateralized loans and the bank's application for a New York trust company license. Earlier this month, the bank launched the Silvergate Exchange Network's leveraged product, which allows proprietary traders to put up Bitcoin as collateral for fiat loans that they can then use to buy more Bitcoin, similar to margin trading in the traditional markets. The bank also applied for the New York trust license with the aim of providing custody and settlement for crypto. The bank, which went public on the New York Stock Exchange in November, is one of a handful in the U.S. that will provide accounts to crypto exchanges, startups, and traders. Early last year, Silvergate sold its retail branch and business lending team to focus on its specialty business lines, including crypto, a rich source of low-cost deposits. Richmond isn't the first executive to move from Blockstream to a fintech-forward financial institution, however, as Coindesk reported this week. Jonathan Wilkins, a Blockstream co-founder, is now chief security officer at up-and-coming Bitcoin brokerage River Financial, which I talked about yesterday. So there you go. Uh, Blockstream being pillaged hand over fist by all these other companies that are getting into the mix. Um, and as long... As you stay Bitcoin focused, you will be able to leverage the Bitcoin network's immune system to guard against the legacy banking system, which is going to have a harder and harder time the deeper and deeper they come in. That's my call. That's the morning roundup. I grew up with The Who, one of my favorite bands of all time, part of the British invasion, the so-called British invasion, that included The Beatles, Pink Floyd, The Who, Supertramp. I just, the list goes on of these bands, that just, oh, Led Zeppelin. I mean, they just came out of the fucking woodwork in the 60s and the 70s, and it was just like, holy shit, man. 
And we we answered back with Jimi Hendrix, which is honestly all it took. But it doesn't matter. I love all these bands. Okay, like all the everybody from the British Invasion. They're freaking awesome musicians. And uh, the Who definitely being right up there. Now uh, I'm going to play you a tune that is a live tune. It's from the Who, but it's not being performed by the Who. Only two members of the Who, as far as I know. Um, Pete Townsend, uh, Peter Townsend, the guitar player, and Roger Daltrey, the front man for The Who, got together, put together a band, went on tour, and performed this song at uh, an outdoor concert that had, I don't know, God, uh, maybe a couple of hundred thousand people. The crowd looks just freaking huge. Anyway, this is The Seeker, and I would like to dedicate this to the Securities and Exchange Commission.
this train wrecked <clears throat> is a tough pill to swallow. It's brought to you by Relevant Peter. Uh, that's at Relevant Peter, also known as Relevant Peter Schiff, who's actually one of the funnier accounts uh, on Twitter. But uh, in this particular case, uh, Relevant Peter has basically ditched his, um, fa- not facade, he's ditched his humor. Um, he's kind of brought it in a little bit, but the subject matters going to be a little tough for us to take. I, I didn't know whether or not I was going to cover this insane bullshit that occurred yesterday or not, but I can't just not call out get pay. I, I just can't because I've shilled them in the past thinking that they were, you know, a, a, a really good company, but um, I'm, I'm pretty much going to have to change my tune. Let's just, let's just read what relevant Peter has to say here. It, it's a it's a thread. It's not long. It's about eight uh, eight tweets long. Hi, I'm at GitPay, and I'm the best thing since sliced bread to demonstrate. I used to give users a ten dollar referral bonus, then five dollars, then two dollars and fifty cents. I was just too popular. Then after getting users infos. I gave them cash back for purchases. Then I reduced cash back rates on almost every vendor I offered. Sometimes I did that twice in the same month for the same partner. I couldn't believe my customers let me squeeze them like that, but I'm just so important of a company. Then I changed my loyalty bonus that originally gave customers at least 50 cents for visiting the same place five times and made it a lottery. Now my users only get about one to one and a half cents, but I promise that some people will win big. Trust me. Guess who actually keeps the difference? Wink. Then I changed my withdrawal limits from $15 to $25. Combine that with the reduced rates and guess who's getting users to stay longer, spend more, and take possession of their sats less often. This guy. Then I hired an intern. I made sure they only posted obnoxious memes about how great I am. Because I am. They begged for followers, did some awesome $5 giveaways, and even had a couple decent posts. You can imagine how little I budgeted for this role. Then the intern took a shot at Try Lolly. <laughs> Lol. Our little short shoestring budget operation picking on the beloved Try Lolly. <laughs> can, can you imagine? Anyways, that's where it all turned for the worse. See, the thing is, Lolly is building their own mobile app. A little simple math shows that the minute they release the app, they will make me obsolete. I'm talking at BTC pay server type shit. Then these folks over at FoldApp come out of nowhere being all high quality and, quote, liked and hiring, quote, professionals and whatnot. But who cares? I'm the best thing since sliced bread. And you're going to love me whether you like it or not. Honestly, I, I, I kind of don't know what to say because I found out uh, and, and I actually had to, to do some, some research on this. It, this whole thing started last night and I started conducting research this morning and discovered that, yeah, my, some of my worst fears had, had, had been, um, solidified. The first thing on the docket here is what happened. Apparently at one point or another, um, the get pay, uh, Twitter account took a pop shot at Try Lolly and said, 
Try Lolly is trash. Um, and it doesn't matter what you think of Try Lolly. I mean, it, they could be. I mean, let's let's say they were trash. They're not. I, I I like those guys. But then again, hey, I'd like to get pay. I I've got the app. I I use you know I I gave them my information. I was testing it out. I said good things about them on this podcast more than once, and I got fucked for it. All right. It's not just that they called another one of the companies that I like, and hopefully Trilolly is not going to get into this pickle. Is is the fact that they uh, they hired somebody that actually called a competitor trash in public, dude? That's so that's that's not cool. That you uh, the, no, I mean that's that's not cool, man. And then one, uh, and I'm not going to say who. Uh, somebody DM me with a screenshot of something that they, of a tweet that they had sent them that basically, ah, told, kind of told him, kind of just gave him the finger when, when he was saying, Hey dudes, what are y'all doing? What you can't call try lolly, you know, be professional, at least try at least you've got a business here and you've got people's credit card informations, you know, linked at least act like, you know, what the fuck you're doing. And they kind of gave him the finger verbally. I won't even say what it what it said because I'm not going to dox uh, dox the guy that sent me the information. So I was like, okay, this is this is kind of bad. I don't remember try or um, get pays a Twitter account being so snide and flippant and and all and just kind of bad. So um, I found out that. Coin Yeezy, also known as Elon Musk on Twitter, he's a giant BSV shill. In fact, he was a, he was a good Bitcoiner for a long time, and I was following him. But all of a sudden, one day, he just starts tweeting shit out about how Craig is it, Craig is Satoshi, and the uh, BSV is the actual Bitcoin. And that's when I just had to part ways. Called him out. He gave me the finger. And I just, I, I just start, you know, unfollowed him. And now his account is set to private. And I come to find out that he is one of the advisors to get pay. Um, and what's odd, actually, it's not odd. This isn't, you know, this isn't anywhere close to outside Coin Yeezy's, you know, modus operandi. But on his LinkedIn account, somebody took a snapshot and showed that he had listed that he's an advisor for get pay. That was sometime either very early this morning or late last night. Now, I went to my LinkedIn account and went over to CoinEasy and looked at his, you know, his LinkedIn. And any reference to GitPay is now gone from his LinkedIn. That's by itself right there is enough for me to uh, stop using GitPay. Oh, uh, and let's let's get into the third and final thing th- of this half-baked bullshit. When Relevant Peter said that they changed their pay, their cash out limits from fifth from twenty five or from fifteen dollars to twenty five dollars, here's what he's talking about. I immediately went to go cash out whatever it is that I had on GitPay because I'm going to delete the app and I'm going to do my best to delete my information from that company. I may just have to get a new credit card issued to me with a new number um, and do it that way. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what, but I'm going to probably, well, I'm, I'm not going to be using GitPay until I can get more than $25. 
I have $18 sitting in there since I've been using it over the past, I don't know, six months or something like that. Um, I've got $18 worth of Bitcoin chilling out on there and I can't get it off because I have to have at least $25. If they had not readjusted upwards from $15 to $25, I would have been able to get every freaking Satoshi off of GitPay. And I can't. I have to continue using, I have to do, I have to make a decision. I either have to eat $18 and shut my account down with them and all the other stuff that goes along with it, or I can continue using what has, in my mind, has actually become not a very good Bitcoin company at the least, unless they change their ways and prove it to all of us that they can uh, act accordingly and not have shit coiners hanging around with them. Um, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll give, you know, I, I would definitely give them another chance, but with coin easy being one of their, uh, one of their hired guns, uh, right there, that's a problem because he's a BSV shill. So here's what I expect to happen to get pay. I expect that all the good Bitcoiners, uh, the, the immune response will may be rough. I don't know. I'm actually not seeing a whole lot of stuff coming across my Twitter feed. Like I was last night. This, this whole thing may just die. Um, and there may not be a huge, uh, Bitcoin immune response, but if there is, what'll probably happen is that most of the actual Bitcoiners that do respect the space and respect companies that are hardcore Bitcoin companies, uh, to leave GitPay and GitPay will ditch BTC and they will go BSV or BCH or both. Um, I don't see how that's not going to happen starting as of now. I don't, I don't see a situation where that doesn't happen. Anyway, it's, it's a train wreck. Um, and because it is rather sad, I'm not playing the, the train wreck, uh, uh, sound effect, you know, out of, out of respect for our collective, uh, our collective shock that yet again, somebody decided to be a, show their complete ass to everybody. Anyway, there's your, there's your smoldering pile. Now on to something funny. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. My friend is getting rich by taking pictures of salmon dressed in human clothes. It's like shooting fish in apparel. Thank God for humor. Otherwise, we'd have to live with the daily train wreck all damn day long. Um, make your own make your own choices as to what you're going to do about get pay. Um, it's it's just weird. the The whole thing. It just I don't know. To me, my gut feeling is that they're fixing to flip. That's my gut feeling. Um, I'm not sure if this was. Some people say, "Oh, it was an accident because it was a drunk intern." Yeah, um, if you're running, trying to run a professional company and you don't vet the people that handle your social media, then you're not a professional company. You should have known. You should have known. So, yeah, um, I'm pretty much done with GitPay. Um, it's sad. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll see what they do um, if they're going to, you know, if they're going to uh, make amends. Um, I don't know how, but it's possible. 
Uh, also, if you guys don't know who at Coin Yeezy is or Elon Moist, uh, also known as Elon Moist, <clears throat> he was one of the guys behind uh, Honey Miner, which Exit scammed. And he was also one of the guys behind Crypt... What the hell was it called? It was, a, it was an ERC-20 token that they spun up on Ethereum for trading cards. Uh, and I can't remember what they call Like Crypto All-Stars is what I think it was called. And I, I don't know if he had anything to do with Crypto Kitties or not, honestly. I just know it was Honey Miner and, um, and Crypto All-Stars or whatever. And then he flipped over to BSV. And uh, it, was just, it was just like watching one of my – at the time, he was like one of my favorite people on, on, uh, um, on Twitter. But now, you know, it's like he, since he's taken his 23,000 followers – on his account and taking that entire account private. I haven't heard anything from him, not a damn peep. Um, so it's like, he just kind of, I don't know. Um, I guess if you're making a lot of money as an advisor, um, then you don't have time, you know, and, and of an advisor of a company such as get pay, who seems to be on the, on the edge of flipping to BSV or BCH, um, and or both. Um, then maybe you just don't have time for Twitter. I don't know. Anyway, um, we'll see what happens and then I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.